to the Power Hour on Verb Moto. Hey, yo, guys. Just a quick note. If you haven't checked out the Verb Edit Contest, it's on the website, and I'm honestly getting pretty tired of telling everyone to go do it because it's awesome, and it's going to be a lot of fun. If everyone just goes and gets their creative juices going, Check out some content you've never seen before. Uh, Star Racing Yamaha, Eli Tomac, Danger Boy, uh, Dax, you name it. Uh, Jordan Smith, Nate, Nate Thrasher, all the boys. Uh, training, uh, interviews, riding footage. First of all, you've never seen this stuff before in your entire life. And you get to edit with it, uh, which is even more badass. Um, so I guess uh, not only congratulations, you're welcome, and good luck. Welcome. Well, Verb Pod Network Podcast here. This is the Power Hour. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. And this is part of the show where I'd normally be talking about the Gypsy 500, but basically all of those teams are already sold out. We might have a few spots. Maybe go to the website and see. But for now, I would say that it's safe to say that those are almost always sold out. So if if you're still thinking about going, go to the website, check it out. But otherwise, uh, I think it's time to talk a little bit about Rev 3D. 3D technology is being brought to the sport of motocross through our friends over at Rev3D. They have amazing products that are extremely durable. Find out more information at Rev3D.com. And now introducing the big boss with the hot sauce over here at the Power Hour, Zach Heron. What is up, man? Glad to be here. Glad the mustache made it another week. Or Fu Manchu. I don't, is that a mustache? How do you how do you classify something like that? It's handlebars. Um, Yeah. And I, surprisingly enough to not only myself, but the oh, the general community, uh, my fiance is actually a fan of it. So, uh, yeah, it's here to stay. There we go. All right. I like it. No, absolutely. It's uh, We had another great weekend of racing. But, uh, yeah, as far as talking about things to do, places to be, uh, we've said it each and every round so far, each and every episode so far. World Mini is back. It's bigger and it's better than ever. And I'm not just talking about the trophies. Uh, you think about, think about Nevada, you think about Las Vegas, you think about winning big. And that's exactly what you can do out at Mesquite, just about an hour outside of Las Vegas. Um, we're still, we're still got things figuring out, Brad. I'm telling you, I've got the bags packed. Uh, I've got the, the first hour of the trip hitchhiked. Uh, I've got a guy who's going to let me sleep in the wheel well of his 18 wheeler. Um, mm-hmm. and then from there, I'm going to get dropped off. I'm going to jump into a coal train cart going to bury myself down in that ride for about another hour and a half, take in some scenery along the way, but come hell or high water, I'm going to wind up at World Mini, man, I'm telling you. And uh, any of the racers out there that want a chance to race the best of the best in the good old US of A, you need to be out at Mesquite as well. Las Vegas, that's the first weekend in April, the 4th through the 7th. You don't want to miss it. And uh, my biggest concern is that the train's going to get delayed and I'm not going to make it until like the end of the weekend. That would just be, that would be my luck. Yeah, yeah, you'll definitely be showing up as we do our uh, final podium um, interviews and whatnot, whatnot. But the, the very thought of you in a coal cart, much like uh, like a wily e. coyote, is uh, both comical to me and uh, a bit concerning. Uh, let's move straight on to the race tech suspension engine sight laps. Early in the pot, early in the day, you're always on your sight laps. Early in this podcast, you're on your sight laps, sort of checking some things out, some storyline that happened from this last weekend. It was a triple crown. Let's talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, the good. Get all the stars all the time, all night long. What are your thoughts on being able just like the format in general? The good part to me is the fact that you get to see the stars of the sport tip to tail, back to front all day long. Like, not to disparage the good name of all privateers everywhere, but 
uh yeah we 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 watch to see the stars do what they do their best and uh the triple crown series triple crown format as i trip over my tongue uh allows for that Shout yeah out. absolutely as far as the uh the triple crown format it's funny it is kind of weird i feel like for your first gate drop of the night to be a main event like it's I, and and I'm one I'm one of those guys where you know normally as Peacock comes on I'm still getting the snacks together I'm looking for a for a cold one you know it's I'm getting settled and it's like as soon as I click as soon as I logged on you know you got that little countdown clock in the bottom till first gate drop five minutes and I'm like okay you know I've got time go do whatever I need to do and then as I'm running into the room like it's the first main of the night it's the first race of the night and so that's that's kind of a love and a hate of it it's one of those things where man we hit the ground running as soon as the show kicks off um and I think the cool thing about it is each and every race counts in that triple series format you know you you can't um it's a mixture of you can't run the risk too hard in that first race but then it's also if if you see something go wrong in the first race, you can't let it absolutely ruin your night because you do have other chances to prove it as well. Um, in a way, it almost gives us that motocross format feeling in the sense of like, hey, I still got the second moto. You know, you see a lot of these riders, if they have a bad performance in the first race, they say, hey, you know, I still got the, the next two races to try to counteract that, walk away with a decent overall. So it does it provides a different opportunity for some racers. I like just breaking up the monotony of the series. Um, I was never a huge fan of the heat race into the semis, into the LCQs in the main event when they did that for a while. So I do think as far as a, a switch up in the program, I think the triple crown format is, is working well. And I think as far as this previous weekend goes, it just made the racing that much more intense. Yeah, it certainly does. And, uh, yeah, the, the same people who, um, whine that you don't see enough gate drops, you don't see enough, uh, of the sort of the mid pack guys, like, oh, I didn't even see, uh, a guy like Christian Craig all night. Those, those, those guys scream for, uh, the, the semis to come back. And as soon as they come back, they're like, what are these races? These are dumb. Why, like, why am I seeing a race for like basically middle pack guys? Um, and like, so it's, it, like, you cannot please everybody. That is the most, dependable thing in the in the entertainment world i'll tell you about the bad about the tri- the triple crown format is is that when we had this in both both uh final races the guy who wins doesn't win um and even you have a guy like cooper webb he didn't win any of the round of the three races but he is in fact your 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 winner for the weekend because he was like he was up front the entire time he looked good um and yeah, so he, he ends up getting the win. He didn't have to. He's letting guys pass. Same thing with Levi Kitchen. Like, uh, it was late. Was it, uh, Shimoda that got him late? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he just sort of like goes to the top of the berm. See you later, Joe. Like, I'm going to go collect this win. Um, so it robs us of some, some, uh, some good racing. And then the final part, the ugly, uh, as far as the format goes, and this isn't really a four of the format at all, but just for the last weekend, Jet goes down in the whoops with one lap to go. And uh, the whole crowd cheers, which I'm not a big fan of that. Like it's a, that's, I like I, I get to, uh, if you want to boo the guy, the kid, if he's a little bit overhyped and like he's like kind of there's 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 egos involved. But he, a guy like Jason Jason Anderson even admits that like egos is what makes the sport go essentially. Um, but when someone falls, you don't cheer. That that is I'm not I'm not a fan of that. Won't I'm not today, and I will never be. Yeah, nice hat absolutely. by the way. Here I, I think they have that hat in blue. Yeah, I was about to say it's uh, great minds think alike, and uh, I completely agree. I uh, I think as far as the 
I, I think you've got to look at the entire Jet fan relationship over this last race because it has been so different. I mean, take up to this point, Jet Lawrence has probably been the closest thing to Travis Pastrana we've seen, you know, as far as just like, man, he's the golden child. You know, everybody loves him, young and old. He's able to interact. Even when he makes mistakes, he's able to somehow just kind of play it off in this lightheartedness. But, uh, yeah, after his actions from from the previous weekend with Jason, um, there was a lot of negativity. There was, I mean, I don't know how else you want to say it. There was a lot of, of hash back and forth. I know, I think it was about 10 minutes after our last episode that I saw Jason Anderson's social media post about Jet. And so... We haven't really gotten a touch on it. And, and I think beyond Jason's post, which, you know, I, I both agree and have some critique with, but nobody's ever going to put it together perfectly. Um, but the thing that surprised me the most was just the dogpiling of riders and industry people agreeing with Jason and kind of everybody just ganging up on Jet. And, and um, that I do like that the broadcast didn't shy away from the drama. They did acknowledge it. Um, some could argue they acknowledged it a little too much. But whatever, uh, I would rather they at least say, hey, this is going on off the track than pretend nothing was going on and there's been nothing happening over the last week. So uh, for me, going back to the original point, I'm a fan of all of these guys. I've never been, a, you know, this guy's got to win and to hell with the rest of the field. Um, I think, quite honestly, I feel like riders that, that are fans that ride themselves, that have an appreciation for what it takes to be that good on the motorcycle – I think they have a respect and a level of admiration for all of those riders. So for me, that a lot of that comes down to what is argued as the monster truck supercross crowd. You know, they bought a bottle of monster energy. They got into the pit party. They saw some monster girls. They heard some cool noises. Flames went off. Um, maybe they didn't really know what was going on. Maybe they thought it was the right thing to do. You know, you got to pick your villains, right? You can't have the hero without the villain. And for that night, it was the number 18. And he's an easy target, right? It's, it's lonely up there at the top. It's, it's hard to maintain that perfect, uh, perfect image forever. But I think this was where you really saw Jet kind of not be the golden child, not be the favorite. And so I don't like the booing, but I do like the fact that we're going to have to see a new Jet. Jet's going to have to respond to this. He's going to have to, um, you know, work on, himself as a person the way he responds with the fans the way he responds from this entire event in general because as much as we want to say it's over and behind us this is going to be talked about the entire season if not you know longer than that and so um, I agree as far as when somebody hits the deck this sport is too dangerous too many things can go wrong too quickly for anybody to be being booed or or applauded when they hit the ground it's incredible what all of these riders do and as far as if you're sitting up in the stands, you just need to be appreciative that they're out there. Now, can you cheer for one rider harder than another and want one rider to do well? Absolutely. But, um, you know, it was a pretty high-speed crash. I, I do think that, uh, fortunately, nothing did go wrong. But I do think it was one where up top in the stands, you probably couldn't tell right off the bat whether he got hurt from that or not. And um, I, I think it would be awful shameful for somebody to be applauding when he hits the ground and him you know, break a collarbone or, or or dislocate a shoulder or something like that that could essentially not only end his season but affect his career moving forward. So um, I agree. I think that should be the ugly. I think it is the ugly side of this sport is the fans. We are the most dedicated fan group out of arguably. Any, yeah, out of any sport you put up against it. I will say that 
Moto fans are probably more diehard and more invested in it, but we are the most brutal SOBs I have ever seen in my life. And, and I think you can even agree with that being people that have times in the spotlight. I mean, I know even just my GNCC experience, even my, my time announcing at Loretta's. And yeah. I was getting ripped on YouTube, getting raked over the coals. Well, they said mean things um, to you, and they meant Absolutely, them. yeah. And, and, you know, thankfully, my mom and dad have been doing that for me growing up, so I was yeah, pretty yeah, used to it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, kept the ego in check. But uh, absolutely, I think it's it's an ugly part of this sport is the fan base is just, we're just looking for a reason to come at you. And so um, hopefully that's out of everybody's system, and we're all back to to just enjoying an amazing season of an amazing sport at uh, at Detroit. Dude, that is the exact same crowd that in was it 2020 was cheering. They were on this they were on their feet to see this kid possibly try and get past and defend the lead that he had ahead, ahead of Dylan Ferrandez. That is the same stadium. I would be willing to bet that there's probably at least maybe 50% of that crowd is the same goddamn people. Like there's a lot of people well, who like they went to that race. They 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 go to the 2024 race, um, and yeah, the thing is, is obviously they like you see the kid like he's on his 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 way up, and whether you you agree with the way he handles himself or the way he, like obviously like the kid's an absolute lightning rod, and you can't blame the the broadcast for wanting to put more of him on the broadcast because it's no different than like a social media account that sort of click like hangs on to like one particular trend or whatever, like the kid sells. And if, if the kid sells, that's what you put the, you put them on the camera. And yeah, at some point that probably there's probably like a, a saturation. There's like a litmus of where, of where, where that can get to where people start to get annoyed with it. Well, of course, maybe they've flirted with it a little bit, but that's kind of their job to find where that sort of line is. Um, and that's that line is different for everybody. There's certain, like as much as there's people who like they, they can't stand the kid or they think he's overhyped or they think, all right, that's enough. There's other people who can't still can't get enough. So um, yeah. And there's still people who line up around the, the block to get the kids autograph and rightfully so. Cause he's badass dude on a dirt bike. Um, and that's, it's yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. That that was the good, the bad, the ugly of the triple crown series or the triple crown format. Um, I honestly, I like them. Uh, like I, I, I like, I like, honestly, I like both. I like the regular format with the qualifying. I like being able to see that the 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 LCQs. We're gonna. I think there's some questions in the on the thought line about the LCQ specifically. Um, that uh, the one someone had for you, but anyway, um, absolutely love it. I'm glad that we do three of them a year. Uh, it certainly breaks things up, and uh, honestly, would love to see one. I think they did one back in 2019 as, as a, a East West shootout, but uh, I digress. Uh, let's go straight into the verb thought line uh, Q&A segment brought to you by no one right now because this is only our fifth episode of the podcast. We need to work on getting some sponsors, and that's kind of on me uh, as I do uh, manage a lot of the sales side of things uh, for verb. So if you do want to ask a question for the verb thought line, all you've got to do, you can go straight to Twitter and at verbmoto. Uh, Ask us a question there. Uh, I'll flag them and tabulate them throughout the week. We've had a few uh, this last week. Or you can email me directly, brad at verb.com, or verbmoto.com, rather. Brad at verbmoto.com. Send me your questions. We will answer them to the best of our ability. We're not that educated, but we do have microphones. So uh, let's get through them. Let's go straight into this question for you. 
Mr. Heron, uh, from David Timmons from El Paso, Texas, basically Mexico, essentially. Um, where were the LCQs this weekend? Those are my favorite part about the night show. Yeah, so so you touched on it just a minute ago uh, as far as with the Triple Crown format and the way those races are broken down throughout the night. Um, obviously, we talk about it a lot. There's there's a TV schedule that's got to be fit into a certain time frame. Um, so the LCQs, to, to wrap it up in a quick answer, they were not broadcasted over this previous race. Now, um, if you have Peacock, you are able to go – and watch the race day live and yeah, watch they're on race day live. They're like beforehand yeah. after the last session, I think. I believe so when yeah. they did it, but they did show it, which I I didn't initially know that they were going to show the LCQs. Um, and so I'm sure if I probably didn't know it, a lot of other people didn't as well. Um, and so I know a lot of people don't they don't watch the race day live. They don't make it a full day, and and I understand you can only get so many dirt bikes in a day. Um, but specifically for the triple crowns, if you're looking to try to catch those LCQs, because I agree, it's hard to match the intensity because it is the last-ditch effort. You know, they say ride like there's no tomorrow, uh, ride like you're never going to ride again. Well, hey, guess what, buddy? If you don't make it in the LCQ, you're not going to ride again that night. So yeah. um, it's it, you absolutely get the the going for it, the send abilities at an all-time high. They're, they're a ton of fun to watch. So, uh, David, there, I completely agree. Uh, it's a bummer that they don't get to show that as far as during a Triple Crown race. Um, but nonetheless, like the format, three different races in both classes, we got to get through in a, in a main television program. Um, like you said before, Brad, the goal is to get the stars of the sport out in front of as many people as possible. So, um, while we have had a couple of stars find themselves in LCQs this year, um, the LCQs just don't quite make the cut for the main show during triple crown format, but at our next race, it'll be back to original format and we'll be back to watching, bar banging and people getting freezied and chizzed on and everything else in the LCQ. So certainly. And those, those are going to go down. Uh, we got three o'clock Eastern uh, night, a uh, night show day show uh, next week uh, with like a 6am track walk, which will be awesome um, for no one. Um, but yeah, it's like, what, what would be your approach on the LCQ? If you, if say, if you were like John short, you ended up just one spot out of the main, like, Obviously, he's under a truck. He probably left. But what, like, if you if you're on the outside looking in at the end of the LCQ and it's five o'clock in the afternoon, like, are you like finding like a like a Paul Parabinos or someone else who has a, like a luxury suite and just getting messed up? Or what? What's your what? What's your protocol? Yeah, I guess it's gonna come down to to my connection. Gonna come down to the reason I got fifth in the LCQ. Let me put it like that. If I got parked in the first turn and it's not my fault and I came from last up to fifth and just missed it, yeah, I'm probably gonna find something, celebrate what could have been and not tell you who wins the main event by the time it's all said and done. But if it's nobody's fault but me, I grabbed the whole shot, I missed a gear, I missed a triple, I did something and I screwed myself out of a chance to, to make it to the night show and to the main events. Uh, yeah, I'm probably gonna be alone in my trailer. in silence till probably next week. Like I, I get extremely heated, uh, specifically at myself. You know, I'm, I'm probably going to be more pissed at myself if I let something get away than if I came together with another rider and, and they accidentally put me on the ground or purposely put me on the ground. I mean, in the LCQ, I think that's one of the only races where a rider can get parked and they can get up and be like, ah, well, it's the, Oh, LCQ. it's gloves off. 
There's no. Yeah, and there's... so I, I do think uh, I think that's one of the reasons it's not only one of our favorites, but a fan favorite as well. And so for me, it just depends on how I got there. But uh, if if Paul's willing to, to share a little bit of the love, absolutely, I'm going to enjoy the show. If I can't be down there, I might as well be way up top watching. So. Oh, that, when when the the beverages start flowing, uh, a, a young man by the name of Paul Pervinus is very welcoming to just about anybody who, especially if they run his product, which I'm pretty sure you do. Uh, on the on the bars, uh, you also your your bike looks like a bunny rabbit with those tall ass bars. If, if you had if you had uh, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Zach's like what are you like six three, six three six four depending on the doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got the 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 high rise bars. If you had uh like hand guards on that thing, the bike would look like a goddamn bunny rabbit. Um, it it's is, an interesting it looking setup. With, you got the gut seat cover, like the flat, you have the, the AC. Yep, it is. That's what I was just about to say. You put it next to a, a picture of Adam Cincerello's bike. I think my bars are actually a little bit higher up than Adam's are. Okay. Um, but, yeah, we're rocking that straight across tall seat. Uh, TP style, baby. It's all in the legs. We got legs yeah. for days. And, uh, yeah. You got it, some throttle therapy this weekend, too. I did, absolutely. Yeah, you can see my arms are still pumped oh, up. That, yeah. I yeah. have not been able to pick anything up all day. But uh, and I'm sore in places I forgot I was capable of being sore in. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, it was great. It was uh, broke out some of the new Moose Racing Agroid gear. It was looking fresh out there. You can't always go fast, but you can look good out there. So uh, big shout out to Moose for helping me out with that one as well. But uh, yeah, it was nice here in North Carolina. Believe it or not, we had like a high 50s, low 60 degree day in January. I was I, I texted you. I was like, I can't be a wussy. I, I've got wow. to go ride. And so. It was a little wet, but uh, I had a great time. I was giving that. you a hard time all day on Saturday. You're like, I might go riding. I'm like, no, you're going riding. Um, when I'm Got here it. in the frozen tundra and you have the possibility of going riding your dirt bike, I highly recommend you do so. All right, moving on uh, along on here on the Verb Thought Line. Uh, we have Nick Erickson from Stockholm, Sweden. Did not know we had a lot of international uh, listeners, uh, especially ones who are, uh, are, are going to pose some questions but uh, nick erickson out of stockholm sweden who is your biggest surprise in the 250 class this year i would say that it's no podium so far for joe shimoda and that is a surprise i don't want to understate that enough but it's got to be antony antony burden that bordon that guy the fact that he's fifth in points right now is absolutely ludicrous and way more of a surprise than uh, Shimoda not being in, like, there's two mud races, he has a bike break, things happen. Uh, the fact that this guy has been fast and consistent, mud, not mud, doesn't matter, uh, he gets good starts, the number 100 Suzuki, let's not forget he's on a Suzuki, is fifth in points right now. Um, like, I, if, if Suzuki USA isn't, like, rolling out some sort of red carpet um to pat him on the back for all his accomplishments so far uh they should be uh but that one's absolutely redonkulous uh i don't know do you have anything to add to that no and that's exactly what i was going to say was shimoda was going to be probably my biggest surprise but um i'd like to make it a positive one and i think yeah absolutely between not a you think about how many times you you have the potential to stall a bike in mud races Yes. And Suzuki is the guy that's still sitting in fifth after two of them. Uh, no, without a doubt. People have been talking about it all online, social media. Everybody has really been impressed by him. 
Um, and so, yeah, for him to be able to put together four good performances now, um, he's in a great spot as far as the, the series goes. And so, yeah, my, my biggest thing is, is how much he can maintain it and where he ends up at the end of the season. But, uh, I think without a doubt, you're already seeing him being looked at under a different lens where people are like, man, this, this kid is serious and we need to take him as such. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, no, the kid's legit. Um, complete side note, not even related to this question whatsoever. Uh, the fact that we're going to Detroit this weekend, two things are going to happen. Uh, we're going to be missing a bunch of, uh, privateers that would have otherwise made the trip. Uh, guys licking wounds, guys needing to reevaluate their lives and just the travel is insane. Uh, especially considering we were coming back to Arizona, uh, the following weekend. Um, so, and also all, other side note is the fact that this week will probably be the most unlikely week that any of the privateers get any riding in. Like if I'm a privateer, I'm framing my dirt bike. If I'm framing it at all and then putting it back together and just driving to Detroit, like there, you're not, you're not putting in like a day at Fox raceway supercross on like a Monday. Cause it's a two day drive that you're going from yeah. SoCal to Michigan, which is basically Canada. Like, Detroit is across a river from Canada. It's ridiculous. Um, with, uh, with Kitchener, Ontario being right there. So, um, yeah, shout out to the, the series schedule for that. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're, if you're playing Pulp MX Fantasy and you're looking for some privateers, maybe lay off those guys this year, uh, this weekend in Detroit, cause that's going to be a tough go. All right. James Hickman from Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, what's in Lincoln, Nebraska, a bunch of nothing. And that's why he's having, he has time to listen to this podcast and ask questions. He says, how have Supercross triples not gotten any bigger despite bikes being way better? Uh, yeah, uh, Supercross triples are 67 feet. They've been 67 feet since like 2001. Uh, probably even before that. Um, yeah, like, like what are, what are your thoughts on this? This is actually a decent question because yeah, the bikes are crazy good. You got guys that are going four and sometimes five in some of the rhythm sections. But a Supercross triple, it is what it is. Like, I think it's honestly the size of the stadium. They just can't make them any bigger. It's funny because that is probably, that's the jump that everybody asks, right? Could you yeah. hit a Supercross triple? triple? Would you hit a Supercross triple? And, uh, it's, it's funny. You listen to any pros that have raced Supercross for a long time. Um, they, they'll hit a first lap, not even think about it. I mean, just, it doesn't even cross their mind. Um, I think it's, it's three it's, onto a table is what they won't do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think a lot of it's got to do with the size of the jumps themselves. Uh, the triples are obviously built up a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're a little, yeah, they're, they're made to be made like that. It's, it's arguably not even supposed to be a jump that riders don't do. Like if anything, I think it's a good opportunity. Yeah. It's cool to take tear offs. It's, you know, throw a big one over to the crowd. It seems like they've kind of got it where those are just, they're a staple of supercross. I think now you're seeing them, I at least feel like they're backed up a lot more than they used to be, where one entire section, be you you know, you came out of a, a left-hander, you hit the triple, and then you made another corner, whereas now you've got triples leading into doubles and other, you know, rhythm sections. You do a stuff dragon's like back, just death. Yeah, they've become less of a main feature of Supercross now, and now they're almost more of just like a – and we'll put a triple here and we'll put a triple here. And then we build this really complex system where you can jump at different ways around those triples. But now they've pretty much, yeah, they're 
while they haven't changed the ability for the guy that's running 20th place to hit them has become no question. I mean, I think now you see some riders say it's easier and safer for them to just hit the gas and hit the entire triple than it is for them to roll it and risk somebody not seeing them. So yeah. um it is I've also heard strange, doubling though. a triple is like scarier than just jumping it because oh, like, I can only trying to like yeah. one and you've got to be that. so precise too. If you're if you're gonna double, you can't over jump that and land right in the pocket between the second and third because you know that's gonna kill your momentum and, and yeah. not to mention possibly break your wrists. And so uh it is interesting though yeah, I'm sure there's got to be a, a committee or, or the, the higher ups that have decided like, hey, we're not going to make one triple 90 feet. I mean, they could easily at some of these events just have a huge 90 foot booter on one side. And for some reason, they have decided that any of the crazy sketchy stuff that people are going to be doing, we're going to be able to to say, well, you we didn't have to do that because we did give you other options. And mm-hmm. so... It's uh, I do think there's an interesting point to be made with that, where where the bikes, even since 2001, have improved so much. Uh, not to mention the low wind power of the four strokes. Now, yeah, you could bust out a 90 footer, still relatively easy. I feel like. Oh yeah, uh, I think honestly, second gear out of a bull turn, those guys are going 90 feet easy. You see, guys, they go not only two onto a table, they go two over the table, so you're essentially going quad out of a corner. Um. One of the things that my pet peeves or like my least favorite layout, and I can extract, I can describe the entire layout to you. It's start right up the middle around the finish. Like you go around the finish line, you come into a rhythm lane. It's usually either back into either a rhythm lane or whoops. At the end of that rhythm lane, it, it goes 90, triple 90. Cause that is an absolute killer. There's no, there's no passes that go on in either one of those corners. And then it's usually a rhythm lane to the one. Uh, the, the other end of the stadium, 180. It's usually either whoops or another rhythm section. And then they sort of like just go back onto the start straight backwards and then hit the finish line. That layout is for sure one of my least favorites. It does have quite a few 180s in it, but like I've never known that one to produce fantastic racing. Uh, especially with the, just the bait. Honestly, like, yeah, the end of the stadium is almost perfect to just kind of like just plunk a, a triple right there. Um, but it doesn't always conducive to great racing. And yeah, like I said, uh, I think honestly, uh, Supercross triple, it still looks impressive to the lay person. If you've been watching this for the, uh, the sport for 25 years, I'm sorry that you're not super impressed by a 65 foot triple. Kurt, I'm not hitting it anytime soon. So that's kind of a moot point, but moving on to our last question here on the verb thought line. And like I said earlier, you can Pose questions, submit your questions to at verb moto on Twitter or directly to me at Brad at verb verbmoto.com um as i continue to trip over my tongue this episode it's awesome it's brand new i got it uh from wish don't i don't want to talk about it but this is from george smith and if i can say this correctly moose jaw saskatchewan uh which is a real place uh here in, in canada um and he says has there ever been a time where motocross guys have such up and down careers like say like a guy like i guess he's trying to meet meaning like so a guy like jason anderson who has like a championship season in 18 and then is kind of invisible in 19 and then is like back to being a bad you know what i mean like i think i think that's sort of what george is getting at here um and yeah honestly i can't think of a time like the only other time that i can think of a guy who was like hot and cold would be like uh a jeff emig who had like some seasons on a Yamaha 
where he was like he threatened uh McGrath and then other years where he just wasn't that guy or like a guy like uh um uh, Ezra Lusk who was like but he was also either he was either a threat or he's hurt like there I wasn't was gonna just say, I was gonna say maybe Wyndham like in Wyndham that 02, yeah oh three era because he took time off and then he came back yeah um you could also argue maybe Millsaps like he kind of went okay. away there for a while and then he popped back in what was that 18 or something where he had the red plate for a while 13. Jeez, I'm off. Yeah, you're really dating your team. He retired uh, at 18. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all starting to run together, man. Yeah, but, that was uh, uh he's back on Suzuki for the first time in his career since turning pro. And uh yeah, he looked good at the beginning. He, like he won Anaheim won over top of the return of Trey Kennard, of course. That, well, that, when uh, was when was his uh his monster cup ride on Cowies? That was the end of 16, and then uh 17, he no. That's fourteen, fifteen, maybe. Yeah, I I can't remember. It's somewhere right in right in yeah. there. But I feel like he kind of had like a resurgence there at the very end, where you were like, "Man, is he right. won the Monster Cup?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and it was him and Canard, I think, that were going for it. Yeah, Canard almost went three for three, and then crashed yeah. and ruined it. Um. So then, yeah, he handed it to to Millsaps, and then the following year, I want to say that sixteen. And then later on that year, uh, Millsaps leaves Cowie, doesn't race the rest of the year, and then comes back. He was supposed to race BTOsports.com KTM, and then there was some sort of a disagreement about whether or not he was going to actually do that. Um, and then came back, and then he raced Canadian Nationals, as I think that was part of like uh, wanting to continue getting paid by KTM. I think that was like a KTM agreement. If you like, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, of not to dirty laundry. I mean, one David because I feel like anybody else that kind of pops off and then pops back up is is like had an issue. Like you take like Chad Reed had Epstein Barr in 2010. Like right, you had you know kind of stuff. Well, that like was that. a forgettable year, my God. Well, and that's what I mean. You could you can point to it. Um, I mean, even even Dungey, like he came out 2010 and absolutely set the world on fire. And then he definitely wasn't irrelevant, but then he no. started getting shot up by Villapoto for a while. And then when Villapoto went away, he came back. But as far as... Did he just, come back or just Villapoto's not there to feed him his lunch anymore? That's the question. I mean, was Chad that great or did Ricky and James just not race? I mean, it's, you know... You said it, man. Yeah, I, I, oh, no. I'm I, not know, I, know, just, I know Chad's a listener and we will get a text about this. So Hey, I have I have the privilege of announcing Chad Reed's only Loretta Lynn's qualifier to date. All right. I have seen it. The guy still got it. That's no hate towards the 2-2. But if you're going to ask the question, you've got to ask the question. I mean, you know, it, it comes down to because that's what everybody likes to say. I mean, you take Chase's win. Oh, Eli got hurt. So-and-so wasn't doing this. So-and-so wasn't doing that. And it comes down to that's part of the sport as much as anything. Uh, but going back, before I dig myself a deeper hole with anybody here. Uh, yeah. I'll go on record and say Ellie Reed also still has it. That's Yeah, I was about to say, I'm sure. Um, it, but as far as if George's question is specifically towards Anderson, I don't know. Because as far as I know, at least, there's not a a clear explanation as to why things have not gone well for Jason. And so for me, it's, but you can also argue the field depth. So 
I don't know. Regardless, yeah. glad to see it's just back. it is honestly. I I respect the question though because there is it, it's weird that not only him but also like uh, uh, a guy like Cooper Webb who won this last weekend. He's had years where he's like just title favorite, like leading the points, wins the damn championship, and then other years where he's super pedestrian and. It, like it doesn't change bikes, it doesn't change whatever. Well, that's, just, like, that's it's the other thing year, I was but... going to say was was you can argue when Plessinger and Cooper were both on factory Yamaha 450s, they weren't even in the discussion. Yeah, like they they were literally. If anything, it was like, are these guys going to stick around? And so, but to to the Anderson side of things, he hasn't changed teams. He's still riding well now. Obviously, I know they're on a new model bike, but. Is it really make that much of a difference to where he's just suddenly a whole new rider? Mm. Um, but who knows? As far as for argument's sake, right now you got to say it does because he's he's looking good. Certainly does. All right, so let's talk about this last weekend as far as Triple Crown series. Like, let's talk about two fifties. Let's talk about four fifties. Uh, we'll blast through it uh, as we've already touched on a few of these things. But uh, um, you made a point off air where you're talking about how, the fact that like Nate Thrasher is super legit. It's really too bad that he like put his shoulder on backwards at the first first round. Um, possible slight AC separation. That DNF essentially has him well outside the points right now. Uh, like it's a short series. We're already halfway through it. He's behind the eight ball big time. But yeah, like you said, super legit. Yeah, I think the uh, the question has never been whether or not Thrasher's got the ability. It's just whether or not the consistency's there, and so. For me, this has kind of been a, a transformative series for him so far where it's like, man, he's consistently up there. Um, now, the the mishaps at the first round, you can argue, were outside of his control. Um, but, yeah, just just taking a look at, at what he's been able to do this last little bit, it's you can't argue that the guy is looking good, and he's looking good for the long term. And so I uh, – yeah, I just think it's time for people to start having the discussion of man, this guy is a is a serious contender. Um, let's see, he is currently eighth in points and still yeah, like thirty eight points back. back. Yeah, so it's it's not even really a, a question as far as the title goes. Um, and so maybe that's good for him. Maybe the the weight of the title's gone, and now it's just a hey, put on a performance as to what could or should have been. And so we'll, we'll see, but I think it's time at least for, for myself to stop looking at Thrasher as this guy that's going to have these breakout rides. You know, he's either going to crash or, or he's going to win. Um, I think he can start to get the consistency down. And, uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I hate that he started the season off with that, with that injury, with that bad luck because it's, yeah, it just, you pretty much dig yourself a hole you can't dig out of. And you so, would have preferred that he finished off that way. Well, not necessarily, but he'd probably still be in the – I mean, you think about it. Let's say he goes and wins the first four. He keeps this role going, and he does get hurt at this round, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this previous round before they go into a break. Then it's like, okay, he's got a chance to heal back up. Now he's actually still arguably in title contention, depending on how everything else falls. So I think it's just as far as the big picture and title discussions go, it's time to start putting Thrasher in the in the talks. Fair enough. Uh, confirmed uh, you don't hate Nate Thrasher. Uh, you just want him to crash at different times. I already mentioned that uh, uh, <laughs> that uh, Bordon is um, is fifth in points. That's unbelievable. Uh, it's also unbelievable that Shimoda hasn't gotten a podium yet. Uh, but I think that's coming. Uh, he looked a lot better on the dirt bike. 
Um, but one thing that, that kind of stood out for you as well, you'd mentioned uh, new ingredients, new chef. Uh, he was cooking this last weekend, looking good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't want to say better ingredients, better rider. You're just saying that because you're a Cowie guy. Well, I'm just, I, I, well, that's what I mean. I think you can argue the same thing for, I mean, Max, Max Volan looks pretty good. He's jumped over. But then at the same time, you've got riders that have left a PC program that, you know, I, I don't need to say it, but you can just, it, different bikes and different setups agree with different people. And it could, honestly, it could have nothing to do with the bike at all, but something's clicking for Kitchen right now. Um, I know he seems to be, uh, him, him and J.A. seem to get along good. I'm him like, and J.A., I was just about to say him and Sexton, I know, get along pretty well, too. I think uh, you're seeing him hang out with Sexton. I don't know whether they're all riding together or not, but uh, I do feel like you're starting to see a more consistent kitchen where he's going to be able to string some things together. I know in his previous interviews, he's had some issues with starts and then just overall consistency. And so, uh, yeah, right now I'm just I'm stoked to see what I'm seeing out of him. I think... Uh, whether it's just refreshing to be around a new group of people and see a new color when you look down or whether there's genuinely something to be said about what pro circuits doing and the way their bikes reacting. Um, I just, I think you can't help but notice that we've got a, a new kitchen out there right now. Certainly. I, I think it really comes down to the Fox gear personally. Uh, I'll, I'll just selfishly say that. I, I think when you're wearing Fox, you know, you look good, you ride good. Uh, you, the results are going to show um, before we leave the 250 class, I want to give a huge shout out to Billy Leninovich. Uh, he, he first made his first main event, uh, in 2002 at Anaheim two. And now at the age of 40, he put himself into the main event. The first time he's ever raced the triple crown format, and he puts it in there at 40 years old. Uh, it does not matter that his results, uh, had him at the back of the pack. And unfortunately, because he ended up 22nd, he actually doesn't receive any points for the weekend. So he is still pointless on the year. Uh, but it is not pointless that he's racing. He's out there. He's proven it that guys in their forties, uh, can still get it done. Uh, he's, he's like doing it for all the, um, the, the vet guys who, who like to be, like put shiny parts on their dirt bikes and have a kit suspension when they don't need it. Um, Bill Leninovich, uh, still the style master. He looks good out there on the Bobby Jays, uh, team faith Yamaha. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of him. I, I don't care what the, the results say. I'm, I'm still hey, he's doing it for all the handlebar mustache having flannel wearing guys out there, right? Absolutely. No, and the, that, that's really the target market that uh, everyone should be driving at. Let's talk 450s. Um, like, give me your thoughts on this. Why is, why is Justin Cooper so caught and cold? I don't know. Uh, I really don't. That that was exactly what, what I was going to bring up was, man, his performance in practice, it, it really surprised me. I was stoked. Big qualifying guy. Well, and, and that's the thing with, with Justin is it he's not this flashy kind of – he's not super outspoken. Like, you're not going to get, like, this big thing from Cooper or Justin Cooper where he's like, you know, oh, I'm on it tonight. Like, here we go. It, he's very under the radar, very kind of keeps it all, but, you know, inside. Um, but you do see a lot in his riding, and it seems like, you know, you're able to tell, hey, Joe, Jay Coop's feeling good today. And that's what that's what I was expecting, and it just didn't seem like when the gate dropped he was able to match it. Obviously, I know you're, you know, you're in the big boy class now. It's a whole different ball game. But um, Justin Cooper is a good enough rider to where I felt like he could have been further up. I'm not sure whether it's his starts or what, but – 
he's got to get he's got to get some more hot. Uh, I'll put it like that. Don't get me wrong. The qualifying is great, but you know, the checks don't come for qualifying. So uh, as far as Cooper goes, I'm sure they're, you know, they're taking positives and trying to work on some other stuff. Um, I feel like it's got to be start dependent. I feel like in this 450 field this year, it's working your way through the class is, is a tall order for almost any of these guys. And so you got to get out front early and, and make the most of it when you can. Uh, but yeah, definitely surprising to see how well he looks and how fluent he looks at some spots. And then sometimes you see him and you're like, man, he really just doesn't seem to be agreeing with the bike, the track, whatever it is in that instance. So, um, yeah, just, just still some question marks surrounding Jay Coop. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I want to talk about the fact that in the 450 class and one of the most stacked classes we've ever seen. And, and honestly, I can say that because there's been years where it has not been as deep, um, and now we've seen Jet, uh, Jet Lawrence win uh, an actual main event. We've seen Chase Sexton win a mutter. We saw uh, – that was a full-blown mutter. Uh, we saw Aaron Plessinger win a muddy race. Like, actually, honestly, by the time the 450s hit the track for the main event in, uh, in, in San Diego, the track was very, very passable. Uh, and then we had a triple crown where we saw uh, Sexton grab one, Anderson grab one, and then also, the, obviously, uh, the – like the beast himself uh, comes out and un- uncorks one in Eli Tomac. So we've had a total of, is that five different guys win, um, which is awesome. Like though I wouldn't call that as five different winners so far because those races being as short as they are, they don't, they don't count as full main events. Um, one of the guys who's not on that list is Cooper Webb, but he's credited with 20, uh, 25 points on the night. Fantastic ride from him. Uh, yeah. He doesn't win, but he still wins. I like that. I think this triple crown has given us a little bit of a preview as to the way this se- this season could end up if you're not careful. And that, that's something that I know we both talked about coming into A1 is when you have a field full of so many riders with the potential to win that are healthy, that are feeling good, that are feeling confident, and, and on any weekend can execute a win – when you start to look at the season as a whole and your title intention goes, oftentimes it's not going to be the rider that's winning the most. It's the rider that doesn't find themselves off the podium. It's the rider that consistently is getting good points. Um, you know, this is this is arguably a field where Dungey could have done really well in the sense of just that old diesel just chugging along, chugging along, chugging along. Um, and so obviously on a much smaller, smaller scale, Cooper Webb in this last race, yeah, sure, he wasn't. He wasn't the brilliance guy. He wasn't the guy up in first place, but he was able to work his way into great spots each and every round. And that's what I mean. At the end of the day, who's getting credited with that win? It's big, big old Cooper Webb. And and at the end of the day, if he's holding up the number one plate and he still doesn't win a main event the rest of the season, I don't think he's going to care. I think that check's going to cash just the same. And so I think some of these riders have to sit there and you really see your, your calm, cool, collected guys I think already starting to notice that, hey, this is a this is a season of attrition. I need to make sure I'm inside the top five every round. And if I have to take some unnecessary risks to guarantee that I'm in second or to, to even sometimes find a podium, maybe really weigh that out whether or not it's worth it. Because you could take a fourth one moto and the, the other guys that have won races – they find themselves in sixth or seventh in some of the other rounds. And so I think it comes down to truly limiting your bad days 
for this 2024 season because we have so many riders that when things are going right, they're going to be hard to hard to beat as far as the top step. Yeah, no, there's so many guys that um, you could be first or like Jet was at Anaheim one, and then you come back around for Anaheim two, and you were in sixth place. And uh, yeah, there, there's been a lot of years where uh, title favorites, their worst finish is a, a third or a fourth. Uh, I think there was a couple of years where I, I know in 01, Ricky, he went, uh, his worst finish was a second, um, which is ridiculous. Um, and, and same thing with Chad Reed had, had years like that as well. We are not living in that time. Um, you wanted to touch on the Roxon Norin uh, incident that actually happened during qualifying. Um, yeah, touch on that a little bit before well, we, yeah. we say goodnight to the 450 class. I just thought it was, uh, and I don't know, I, this is based off of just what I've seen on Ken's Instagram and then some of what I saw on Twitter as well talking about it. But um, if you did look at Ken Rockman's Instagram shortly after practice or qualifying, um, he had a he had a post. It was a video of him. Looks like he was either just finishing a hot lap or getting ready to start one. But uh, Freddie Noren's in front of him. I'm not sure what happened. I mean, don't get me wrong. Freddie Noren's a, a badass on a motorcycle, and so I don't. Anybody that sits there and says, oh, these goons or this, that, and the other thing, I, I don't want to hear it. Um, you know, Freddie's incredible, and he'll he'll whoop our ass any day on two wheels. But All in this situation, it definitely looked like there was some kind of miscommunication. I don't know whether Freddie thought that Ken wasn't going to get to him until the following corner and was trying to move out of the way in the air. But essentially, you you clear as day seeing, see Ken and, and Freddie cross pads in midair, and it's it's pretty clear that that both of them would have ended up on the ground and, and probably hurt uh, should they have come together. And so Roxon, he puts it on there and uh, he, he essentially puts that he will, uh, he will kick Freddie's butt if, if it ever happens again. Um, now he was a man about it. He tagged Freddie in it. Um, and I'm, you know, dumbing down exactly what was said, but it was clear that Roxon was unhappy. Um, only reason I wanted to touch on it was, what what is your opinion on riders putting other riders on blast on social media? Because we've seen so much of it over this last week, and, and I think there's something to be said. I, I think that the the Anderson Jet situation is maybe a little different than this one, but to me, at some point, some stuff doesn't need to be blasted everywhere. I feel like like I understand that you don't like something, and even if you're in the right in the situation, I still feel like maybe that wasn't justifiable for Ken to just go and put. Freddie on blast when, at least from what I could tell, it seemed like a genuine mistake from Norrin. Yeah. And like, I don't, what I don't know is, is if this has been a recurring thing. Like, I don't know if, if Roxon has had previous run-ins where he's coming up on Norrin and either he pull, moves over on him intentionally or unintentionally doesn't really matter. Um, I think the post essentially stems from the fact that like, Ken's had enough injuries throughout his career. He doesn't need another one. And when someone threatens your safety out on the track, you it's not uncommon to get your hair up. Um, obviously, like, cooler heads could have prevailed, and I think that's a pretty, like, a common theme within all this, is that, like, we saw that with the, the Jet uh, Jason Anderson incident. We've seen that with other stuff in the past, um, that if you can squash stuff. I would honestly, I would have probably been more of a fan of like long before social media, if someone had had done something like that to you, like say to uh, if um, 
if Denny Stevenson had done that to Damon Bradshaw, Bradshaw would have went straight over to the, to the Suzuki rig and actually threatened his life to him man to man and said, I, I'm going to uh, cave your face in if you do that again. Um, and that would be a conversation between men and that wouldn't be broadcast to like literally tens of thousands of people and have like, and like what I don't like about that is that gives an opportunity for like, unfortunately there's some people on the internet who, if they're big fans of, of, of Ken Roxon, now they are big non fans of, of, of Frederick Norton. And like Freddie Norton's one of the nicest guys in the pits period. And he doesn't need people like, it sounds crazy, but there's people who go full on death threats uh, yeah. over stuff like this and say some really mean things or, and maybe take it way further than it should. Um, and for, so for that reason, I don't love that move, but at the same time, I'm not in Ken Roxon's head. I don't know how close of a call that really was. Um, and, and whether or not like, he's just like, he obviously you're super heated and yeah, props to him for actually tagging uh, Freddie in it. So it's like basically not just like, I don't know, like, uh, singling them out without actually notifying them about it. But uh, in general, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it, honestly, I'm, I'm sure the two of them will squash it. Um, I, I would I would imagine the two of them probably raced a lot growing up. Like, Freddie might be a little bit older than Ken, but, like, they're both Euro guys from around the same vintage. Like, how old do you think, like, is Roxon 30? 29, 30? He's got to be close to it, yeah. I yeah, would say. and and Noren's probably thirty one, thirty two. Yeah, maybe a little bit older. So, like, you know, these guys, like, these guys might have had like a really long history of. Yeah, that's true. It could be a, a long term beef that we don't even really know about. Yeah, could be, could be. Um, let's go straight into the vented plate. Just let it out, vent session. Uh, this is an opportunity to sort of just like lay some stuff out there, things that are kind of like. It's like stuck in your craw and like you're, you're not, you're not happy about it. You want to just let it out. Um, and honestly, I just think vented plates look cool on dirt bikes. Um, especially remember back when like vented plates were like the thing, like, like actually, and I didn't really love it because like the Sykra plates that, uh, Stuart ran in like 07, 08, or 06 or 07, not my favorite. Uh, that's when they thought that like all the venting in the world needed to happen on dirt bikes as part of it was like, I thought, I think it's funny that there was like more venting and more tunneling of oxygen in like 2006 than there is now, uh, which is ludicrous. Um, maybe that's what I'm really venting about is that vented plates were misused properly in, to, in the mid 2000s. But I'm going to go like this. I think it was like so interesting that in like 1999, it was like talked about that like so and so ran like the, the Wyndham bend. Or the this, like, you know what I mean? Like, got like, like, Reed had his own bend, RC had his own bend. Whereas now, like, you got lot, you got like, uh, like guys, like, they're almost not even as much of a star. Like, is, does that say something about like the star quality of our guys? That like, there's guys who just run like the RC low or the like, you know what I mean? Or the, the like, like, I don't know, like, just giving an example, like, Kitchen might run the like, the, the Kevin Windham bend. Like, why doesn't he run the, the Levi Kitchen bend? You know what I mean? I, I think that there's some I think there's some missed opportunities and some untapped potential in the sense of, you know, let's go to a, a pro circuit Kawasaki. Let's go to a star racing Yamaha. And let me show you why each one of these bikes that from the naked eye look the exact same. Let me but tell how you they why are so they're different from each rider. Yeah. And, and I think 
as much as I hate to say it, I feel like the sport and the coverage of the sport has shifted in a lot of ways from trying to talk to an educated group of riders of riders that mm-hmm. people that understand so many of the basic things about the sport to now it has kind of become a little bit more of this balancing act between, Hey, we're going to give a little bit of, of cutting edge information that these diehards are going to understand. But then we're also going to show you how a tear off works. And we're going to show you, we're going to tell you what color every manufacturer is every time we say them ever. And it's like, I, I get it because, and, and as a broadcaster and as an announcer, I understand you got to walk that fine line. You've got to, you've got to try to keep the new people interested. If somebody's just talking about F1, for example, I am, I'm a very amateur fan of it. I like that they go fast. I like, you know, I like the basic elements of racing, but I don't understand the pretty cars. Exactly. I like the sounds that they make and that they all have cool accents, but nonetheless, it's, it's basically, it's one of those deals where I'm not educated in the sense of if he talks about this tire tread compared to this or, or this to that. And I feel like that's the way a lot of the motorcycle racing community comes in. And quite honestly, even a lot of the riders or a lot of the fans that do ride, they aren't, they aren't on as an intricate of a level of understanding. Now, do I think that if Supercross did run a feature on the different bar bins or the different options, could it educate that majority or that riding group of fans. Absolutely. But for me, and, and again, this is, I'm sure, a, a meeting that a bunch of far more imp- more important people have than us. But it's like, where is that line of we're going to talk to people that don't really understand a lot about the sport so that they hopefully become attracted to it and become engaged in it? And then how much of this is really minute details that the deepest of deep fans are really going to find interesting. And I don't know where that line is. I I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of numerical data that I'm sure it has to go through because I would be genuinely curious to see on average, if you take 10 Supercross fans at random that are watching every single race of the series, how many of them have never seen a race before or don't have any kind of involvement in the sport. And so I do think it's an area that's overlooked. I think that we have gotten kind of caught up on this trying to grow the sport and trying to bring these new faces in, which is important. But I also think it's it's equally and arguably more important to not overlook this incredibly dedicated fan base that is craving something to be interested in. You know, yeah, something super, to like learn. Insider knowledge, like just the fact that like like they use Pro Circuit as another example is like they were literally a twin wall team. For for as long as those bars have been out, they have one guy that's running a crossbar right now. Why? Can we well, like can I, we get to you know what I mean? Like just I, I I'd be, and I'm genuinely curious. Like why do like why like obviously there's a lot of guys who grew up on just not using them or they're not used to it. They don't like the rigidity. Uh, and what was the crux of wanting that to be changed? Like well, and you've also I think another thing that plays to it specifically for the broadcast is. There wasn't Twitter, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't any of that stuff growing up. So it was like if somebody did run something differently or or was, you know, oh, they switched to this bar bot, this bar bend, or oh, you know, they switched from this boot company to this boot company, we weren't finding that out until the race was going on. And so it's uh it's a mixture of a lot of things. I think Moto Media has increased a ton. 
we've got, you know, seven different people telling us the same thing happened in practice before the race actually starts. I'm sure the the producers and the race promoters probably take that into consideration as well. But I also agree. I think that the just elementary facts of racing kind of get overdone a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, all in all, like I said, it's it's not up to us to make the decisions. Um, now I'm curious. I, I'm going to move into to my vent here because yeah, you need to really vent because I, I I just realized that I sort of just argued for more science of Supercross, which I don't want. So. Well, yeah, let's, let's keep <laughs> real scientific about it if we're actually going to do it. But no, yeah. my vent is pretty simple. Um, and it's it's why were Jet and Jason fined? Okay, it's coming out now. They were both fined thousand dollars. Um, we've all seen what happened. We've seen the incident. Um, there's a couple different ways you can look at it. Okay, uh, Jet put his hands on Jason Anderson first. That's all there is to it. It's yep. been shown. It's clear. Um, so if the fine is coming because you cannot put your hands on another rider, I do not think Jason Anderson should be fine. Now, did Jason Anderson show more aggression with his hands than Jet Lawrence did when he returned the favor? So he gets, Absolutely. He gets fine for being stronger? Well, and that and that's exactly what I'm getting at is, is it's like, what is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to let his head get jerked around by Jet when he was trying to leave the situation? I don't, I personally don't agree with that. I think yeah. self-defense is, is self-defense. And I mean, I'm sure he wasn't defending himself. Like he wasn't scared of Jet, but I don't think somebody gets to put your hands on them or gets to put their hands on you without something in return. Um, right. I, I've said it several times throughout this week. If that exact thing happened in the tunnel where the TV didn't catch it, I don't think it happens. I don't think the fine gets given out. I don't think any of, any of that happens besides just we hear some drama happened between Jet and Jason. And, and that's the thing that kind of annoys me is it's like we talk about we want to see passion. We want to see expression. We want to see emotion from these guys. Uh, hey, I hate to break it to you. That's not always going to be happy, uh, crying tears of joy. No. Uh, it, it's it's There's a whole negative side. There are 21 guys that are pissed off leaving that race, okay? Even the guy that got second, he wanted first. And so at the end of the day, there's a there's probably a lot more negative emotions that you're going to capture if you're really looking for emotions in racing than positives. It was an incident. It happened. I've seen the race footage. I at least haven't seen anything that I think is is completely out of pocket from Anderson. Um, and I think it was a lesson. I think it was a lesson to Jet. Um, I think it was a, a reinforcement of a lesson to the rest of the field as far as, yeah, we probably don't want to mess with that guy. Um, but to me, it's, I just think that there's gotta be a, a point where the AMA and Feld and all of these people at some point, like you gotta let people be people. I mean, I know you're a big hockey guy. Could you imagine if, if they came out every time they were getting ready to throw down on the ice and were like, stop it, you get a fine, you get a fine because you're passionate about what you do. I mean, you know, it, we see it in NASCAR guys get out of the car, they're throwing their helmets at cars driving by. Football players getting fights with guys on the sideline that aren't even in the game. Should like, March Banks get fined for throwing his goggles? Well, and that's a perfect, perfect example, perfect question. I mean, was was Ricky Carmichael fine when he was cussing out Steve Mathis? Like, it's you know, there's there's emotions in this sport as there should be. It's it's a pro sport. There's a lot on the line, not only for the money, but we're risking our lives out there. I don't really think any of these football players are thinking, "Hey, that that hit could have killed me." But you know, Ken Roxon. Going back to that, 
I understand he was hot because, hey, if things go wrong, that could have that could have been beyond detrimental to Ken's not only body, but, you know, if he hit his head yeah. again, who knows what can happen? And so for me, it's it's just like, where do we find this line of we've got riders showing emotion, people are passionate and they're into it. But we also don't have this mommy and daddy that are preventing anybody from doing that. And, and to yeah. where it's like, OK, as soon as the race is done, you go to your corner and you go to your corner and nobody talk to each other. It's like, that's not it. Like, I like the bickering back and forth between Barsha and Tomac. I like the bickering back and forth between Vince Freeze and insert rider here. Like, yeah. it's like so the fact I, that Barsha and Tomac were teammates at one point is absolutely. Yeah, that's that's and, and that's I, I think it's you can cuss, you can scream, you can do whatever. Um, and I didn't see any penalties handed out, but it, it looks like it's the it's the physical. And when you put your hands on another rider, um, but I mean, I'd be curious to see whether Vince Freeze got any kind of fine when Weston Pike put it into him. Yeah, rain down oh, blows. Like, no, and and Weston got got a a, a one one uh, race suspension. He was right. disqualified. Obviously, he didn't make the main that night, and then he was disqualified from the following round. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, I, I I think that was expect. Two reasons why I think that was out of pocket is that a um like. That wasn't enough of a reason to to disqualify someone for the next weekend, and they played the shit out of that for the entire year. Like you well, sold tickets, you you sold tickets off that fight. Like, the exact same things happened. I, I've seen it online. The, they said that Anderson and and Jet should get paid every time that clip gets played because it's like between social media over this last week and then over the broadcast this last time, like. Man, they had multiple angles. Like it looked like it was a full-on movie clip. We had angles from every side. We had slow mo. Like it, it was clear as day of a breakdown. And and I agree. It's like if you're going to be able to use this drama as a selling point, which they do. I mean, take you. Yeah, this is what you might see. Yeah, could you imagine if if everybody if the two fighters were going at it and oh, I I truly respect this guy. He's great. Yeah, like sure, okay, cool. But like it's a lot more fun when Conor McGregor's up there, like. I'd like to apologize to nobody. nobody. Like it's, and so that's what I mean. It's we want to see the emotion and the fireworks that come with some of these bigger sports. Well, hey, sometimes there's a little bit of, sometimes a firecracker blows up in somebody's face. That's just part of playing with fireworks. And so um, I don't know. I was just bummed to hear that the fines were given out. Like I said before, I did see uh, in the clip immediately as they pan away from Jason and Jet. Uh, Jay Bones running towards him. Jeremy yeah. Albrook there now working with the AMA. So I wasn't surprised, but I was a little disappointed. I guess you know, like how much of a just an absolute meme that like Jay Bones' life has become over the last like 25 years. Like the stuff that he's had to deal with between like working for for Emig, like working for Stu, running well, he, JGR. Wasn't he? He was Weston Pike's manager, wasn't he? Right. When Weston got that penalty, and now right. he's got handing the penalties out. Yeah, no, he's been on both sides of that conversation. Like, it's there. There isn't someone more suited for that job than Javon because he's dealt with like stuff with James, stuff with Emig. Uh, believe it or not, he was even John Dowd's mechanic for one year when he was on Factory Cowie when he was that fantastic no fear gear that never looked worse on anybody else um yeah wild stuff wild stuff um before we hang out hang up on this call and yeah we're 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 into overtime here on the power hour we're pushing our limits here i gotta talk about the 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 250 east a little bit uh it's 
are we going to see Danger Boy? There's been very, like, not a lot of talk. Uh, we have seen that he's, he's running the, the, the purple plate with the, uh, the high vis numbers. Uh, not like whatever. Cool. Uh, I, 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 I'll, I'll say this. The, the royal blue and yellow was a beautiful looking number plate. Purple and high vis green isn't it i don't even like I, I i'm not even mad about the the him running that number i really don't care he's running he's not running one he's running 38 um which is i guess he's going to be his permanent number going forward because that's what he's selected based on a championship that he won or he's top 10 points i suppose either way he picked 38 he's going to be 38 i'm just not a fan of the color the color combo i just don't think i just think it's a good looking number plate. like completely aside like that regardless uh also the fact that like he won the SMX championship last year. So I guess if that's what they're going to run it for, great. Um, I would have just those two colors don't, they don't go together very well. Uh, it looks like Ninja Turtles to me. Um, but anyway, uh, maybe that's what I should be venting about. Uh, my, that was a better vent, vent than my, uh, the one that I came up with. But anyway, uh, Danger Boy Deegan, if he, if healthy is absolutely a title favorite for this, for this championship. Um, you've got an absolute smattering of pro circuit Kawasaki's that are going to be like champing at the bit. You have Forkner who hopefully doesn't fork things up. You have, uh, Hamaker who I was under the impression was over six feet tall. He's like five foot seven. Um, I was very surprised by this. I like just cause he's like, he seems like a more bigger imposing guy. And then like in the, the team photo, he's like, he is, uh, he's a shrimp. Uh, he's literally, he's just a little guy. Um, and then you got McAdoo. Uh, Jeremy Martin's going to be in the mix. I'm stealing all of your talking points. Throw something at me. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, well, and I think you've got some, some, hey, we're expecting big things from these guys. And then you've got some Bobby awesome, out. you've got some awesome question marks as well. The new kid, Daxton Bennett, he's a Carolina boy. Um, I think you've got to be on the lookout for him. I think he's obviously got a great thing going there with Star. He's got a lot of time working with Star. So I feel like his comfort hopefully should be there. Um, another one that I'm really interested to see coming back from some injuries, long time off the bike, Chance Hymas there on the Honda. Um, I think a lot of people haven't really, I, in a lot of ways, I think they've forgotten about him. We talk about how easy, easily that happens in this sport. He's been hurt for a while. Um, so curious to see not if he comes back, I'm sure Chance and, and Honda and everybody's working hard to get him back and ready to go, but I'm curious to see how the speed happens in the sense of, is it a slow roll back for him or does he come out round one firing? So uh those are kind of my two guys to watch. I agree in the sense of, I think Danger Boy, if he's healthy and he's he's running on all cylinders, I think he's probably everybody's favorite. Um But what does that mean really he's, he's the combination of resources and legitimate talent like the guy the kids put in the work and he's got unbelievable facility to train at and race at and he's got all the and and he's got there's no limitations as to what how high he can rise like as far as the funding behind his program and and the the effort behind his program he's got amazing people in his corner and the kid is genuinely genuinely talented whether or not he's racing is honestly a huge question mark. They haven't released any type of provisional entry list. Um, there's been, I think I've seen one post about his, him riding. I don't even know if that's recent because you never really know when this stuff gets filmed. Um, yeah. Like, but yeah, I, I think he certainly has, has potential. I, I, this is, I can tell you this much for free. Tom Vial is going to get some sick starts. He's going to be ripping whole shots. Uh, and I actually really like him to be like a threat at like a Daytona this year. 
Um, aside from that, yeah, like you're going to see McAdoo uh, win some races, uh, not to disper- uh, besmirch the good name of Cameron McAdoo, but I also ex- expect him to uh, possibly have some of the most hellacious get-offs of the, of the whole year. Uh, and then also bounce up and still get a podium that even whether it's in that same race or later that night. Um, yeah. What else am I missing? I think Daxon Bennett's going to be sick. I think that kid's got skills. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of, of anybody else right off the top of my bat is, is Romano. Is he going to be lining up or is he hurt? Romano, uh, Nick Romano. I think, I think he's finally lining up. Like I was about to say, I can't remember whether he did he was race a few races. Obviously, that's why he has a, a national number. Right. Did he race last year? I I genuinely he don't know. Have. I was about to say I don't think he did. I think he had a pretty serious injury, but I can't for the life of me think he, of he what did it a was. Uh, but uh, maybe he didn't race outdoors, was. so he might yeah. like he must be on a three digit number this year. I really don't know. I uh, whatever he is, he he's got to he got to start making something happen in a hurry. I'll put it maybe like he's that. He's going the four eleven. Yeah, he might be. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think the thing for me is, uh, the first race is going to tell a lot, but I don't think it tells everything. So, um, I just don't want any of the guys that we, you take a Forkner, for example. I mean, and we, we know the guy's fast. We know he's got what it takes, but it's just, man, you got to put a whole season together. You got to do the whole thing. Um, he's, he's one rider for me specifically where I feel like the clock's ticking. Like, Did you hear his interview on Winners Take Y'all? I have not. Okay. Well, that young man, uh, he's got a new lease on life. He's playing with Rhino. And I, w- I would encourage those who have not yet listened to that interview. Uh, that that interview is going to tell you everything you need to know about his preparation and mindset coming into this weekend. Uh, great interview uh, with the boys over at Winners Take Y'all, Kevin Kelly and the boys here on the Verb Pod Network. So if you're listening to this show, you've most likely already listened to that episode. Uh, maybe you skipped that one. I highly recommend going back and, and checking it out. Um, yeah, that's all I have for the 250 East. Uh, I'm sure there's some guys that I've sort of forgotten about or not not thinking about. Um, is possible return of Michael Moseman? Or are we going to see him at Phoenix, perhaps? No, I, I know he's going to be yeah. on a Yamaha. He's going to be on a star racing Yamaha when we yeah. see him. Um, I, I don't know when I I'm curious to see how that ends up working out just because it sounds like a lot of it's come together last minute, but, um, he's another one where he's got potential. I, I mean, the, the ride, the, the riding is there. Um, it's, I've always heard that he's a little left of center as far as just kind of a little strange. He's um, not a guy. Even, just, yeah, well, he's not a guy. He's like a super, <laughs> super nice guy. Just odd. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, but hey, to each their own. I mean, it doesn't mean he's not able to twist the throttle. And so yeah. we'll see. We're both odd. Uh, we, have, we have a podcast. Yeah, exactly. And so we'll see. I, uh, I, I think it's just going to come down to, I just don't want anybody to get hurt. Uh, I, I hate to sound like I'm back in my A1 predictions, but I think you've really got a good potential for five plus riders to be in a locked in battle for the championship. And, and that's what I'm hoping is I want to see riders doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing and i want us to have good clean racing up at the front of the field fair enough well uh looking forward to that thank you for making some time here on the power hour i know we pushed it about this is about an hour this is almost 90 minutes so this is the longest power hour uh we are trying to shoot for these things for uh for 60 minutes uh but if we happen to go long uh yeah like 
feel free to ask for a refund. Um, yeah, give, give us a boring race and we'll make 60 minutes. I promise. Perfect. Yeah. No problem whatsoever. Yeah. Really easy to do 60 minutes on those mud races. But, uh, for Zach Heron, uh, if people aren't already following you on social media, they need to, uh, Zach Heron 16. That's me, baby. ZAC like Efron, Heron like the fish without the G and the big one six, which is another reason I'm pulling for Vial this year. He's, he's, he's got the number 16. 16 now. So he's, he's looking good out there. That's guaranteed at least three horsepower right there. Easy. Easy. All right. Well, uh, as we have in the in the last three episodes, we're gonna get, get out with this one. Um, we're gonna go straight to "Out at the Ranch" by Zach Heron. From kids up to grown men Walk through the gates of the coal miner's daughter To make a point clearer than the creek water Who's the best, who's it gonna be In Hurricane Mills, Tennessee Can you feel the adrenaline Dirt flies hypnotized by the wheel spin Hear the crowd, everybody's whistling Lying on the bed If you can put it all together three times This one week of Hear the crowd, everybody's whistling 